you are listening to the Grand Old Podcast. I am your host, Hamish Carton, as we make our long-awaited return. Just going to get right into it, because we've got so much to chat about tonight, and I'm going to introduce our first guest from the Jersey Doesn't Shrink blog podcast, something like that, Stevie. Hello, Hamish. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, you're very welcome to come back on. How have you been? Been fine. How have I seemed? All right? <laughs> <laughs> Know, is this kind of, where are we going with this? I'm just asking. I'm just asking a question. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> right, we'll move swiftly on to John. Uh, you can put in your surname if you want, John. Everyone knows that anyway. But it's John McGinley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Celtic couldn't quite land John McGinn, but we've got John McGinley on the podcast. So welcome. Uh, sign in, uh, yeah. What you What you been up to, John? Um, not much, to be honest. Stopping my house, getting burgled, and breaking into it myself. Just the usual. Ooh. Jeez, oh, that was a bit of a shock. <laughs> Didn't know about that, you all right? Yeah, I'm all good. I caught a burglar coming into my bathroom window last week, and then last night I locked myself out of my flat and had to break in with a hammer, so um, perfect. Just a, a, a week in the life of John McGinley. So Dundee isn't quite as safe as it seems then? <laughs> no, exactly. It's not quite the safe house that some make out to be. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, anyway, uh, I'm just going to bring you a wee bit up to speed with what's going on with the podcast and the, the Twitter feed. Basically, I'm I'm in charge of the Twitter feed now. John has uh, vacated that role and allowed me to come in, and you've probably noticed a slight change in the, the level of the tweets, the, the kind of intelligence and the, the thinking and the research and the stats and just the general knowledge of Celtic has all gone out the window. Uh, An incoming has been just a, a kind of torrent of abuse for me raw, and raw from me, I think di- <laughs> directed at Hearts fans, yes, it's uh, it's been an interesting turnaround over the last week or so, uh, but it seems to still be doing alright, I'm still getting decent interactivity, if that's the word, on the, <laughs> the social media feed, and uh, we're, we're, kinda, we're doing alright, hopefully you've, you've not been too put off, I've not actually done the wee unfollowers app and seen how many we've lost, Paul Fisher <laughs> usually tracks that kind of thing. On the on certain Celtic podcasts, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about the the grand old podcast. Anyway, the actual podcast I've got written down in front of me. Variety is a spice of life because we've gone. I think you were all a bit sick, fed up, and we were all sick, fed up of talking to each other, me, John, and Paul. So we thought we'd sprinkle in a few new guests, and it means we can take breathers ourselves and that kind of thing. So hopefully. With the introduction of Stevie this week and maybe others in future weeks, uh, maybe even Paul Fisher for a podcast at some point, uh, you can you can notice a wee a wee change in a, a nice new fresh grand old podcast that doesn't really work. Anyway, where is Paul Fisher? Anyone heard? I heard there was an international Jack and Ori conference, but that's just speculation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do actually have three. Uh, excuses written in front of me the first one they gave me before the rest when I asked him Paul do you want to do a podcast tonight he said I've not seen the game from yesterday so I kind of said ah you're alright well basically it's going to be more of a, a chat around the the kind of whole Celtic picture rather than just the, specifically the Hearts game he then said and he, he sprung us on me that he's got an interview apparently tomorrow not seen that mentioned anywhere and then also finally the hangover the dreaded <laughs> Sunday hangover from Paul Fisher so he was obviously out and about last night enjoying himself quite possibly enjoying himself because uh, if, as I say if you follow Paul on social media channels he did in fact pop the question a couple of days ago so him and Emma are getting married now, so I think a big congratulations is in order from 
all of us guys. Uh, of course, that, that leads us on to talking about Celtic now. We've done enough of that. Brendan Rodgers, if he was asked to be asking a question to the Celtic board right now, just like Paul Fisher did, mm-hmm. what would he be asking, John? He would be asking what the hell's going on, and I think he's entitled to ask that question, given what has been going on over the last few weeks. Hmm. So what the hell is going on then? Well, basically, the the situation is that he isn't very happy with the transfer dealings of the club this summer, and in my opinion, quite rightly so. Um, he's been pursuing a couple of targets, by all accounts. He's admitted that John McGinn was one of them, and we never, we never signed him. Um, and it's kind of added up to a general malaise surrounding the club, given two poor results and in isolation. Each one might be think, something that you can brush off, but I think altogether it's added up to a bit of a, a bit of a problem and a bit of a worry for the Celtic support in general. So. Brendan Rodgers has been explicit in his thoughts that Celtic need to add quality players and he feels that the squad is weaker than it was this time last season after the sale of Stuart Armstrong, the departure of Patrick Roberts, the sale of Eric Svichenko. So he's wanting players to, at the bare minimum, replace those that have left and bring the squad up to scratch, which he expects to happen, having been the manager of two treble winning sides and guided us into the group stages of the Champions League for two seasons in a row, which has netted us tens of millions of pounds. So mm-hmm. he's wanting to see some sort of quality player come into the into, into the team in the last few weeks of the transfer window, and time will tell if that will happen. Yeah, I think the, um, what is it they say, the, the straw that broke the camel's back in this one was a certain John McGinn. Stevie, does missing out on, on McGinn, obviously Aston Villa now, does that really matter? In my opinion it does, um, you both know how much I rate John McGinn, I think he's a fantastic player, and it's one of these things, right, can you imagine we didn't get Stuart Armstrong when we did, and he ended up going down yeah. to like Fulham or, or a Hill or something, we would have been kicking ourselves going, oh this guy's definitely, clearly a good Scottish talent he'll enhance the team and we've just missed out on him we didn't we got him in and Stuart Armstrong not only improved his game but he, you know, he, he really made a big contribution for Celtic I genuinely think the, some of the comments and the stuff I read about John McGinn the arrogance yeah. about him is, mm-hmm. is breathtaking I'm not I'm all for opinions right and, and I get that because I mean my ones are wild as well but I think we can all agree that genuinely John McGinn is a class act and I tell you what seen Saturday He's the type of player that would have relished that game and really, yeah. really been getting... Mm, yeah. like, getting good point. He is the sort of player that would have been relishing that um, and not letting certain Hearts players away with the things they did on Saturday. So, yeah, in my opinion, missing John McGinn, or missing out on John McGinn definitely does matter. It just showed on Saturday. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I heard a, a bit of discussion. I think it was in Sports Sound the other night and I can't for the life of me remember. It was maybe... Billy Dodds and I know the, the groans will tell you exactly what they're about to say but he mentioned that, that bringing in McGinn was a po- possibly ha- would McGinn uh, would McGinn be looking at the likes of Scott Allen and Ryan Christie mm-hmm. hadn't got an opportunity in the Celtic team and we lost that oh. midfield and I just found myself shouting the name Armstrong at him and going yeah. McGinn is more of the level of Armstrong or even Scott Brown before then mm-hmm. but he would be coming in and he, he there's just there's no doubt in my mind that John McGinn would have been a success at Celtic of course he would have been the way he'd yeah. come the, the way plays, the, the fight he has, the quality he has, his temperament, his personality he's doing a massive success for us and for me John at the price it's been quoted 2.83 million, I just for the life of me, the money's clearly there, I can't understand why we didn't well, want to spend it 
apparently that was the kind of fee that was signed uh, Boo Kowasi for, which kind of puts that yeah. kind of a fee into perspective. And I know a lot of people have been saying over the last week, though, that sign him again, like, it doesn't really matter because it's the defence that needs sorted out. But I think people kind of need a wake-up call in terms of the, the depth of the Celtic midfield isn't as great as maybe people make out that it is. I think, especially in those two deeper positions that Browden and Cham play, we don't really have direct cover for those players beyond Ibukuase, and you, you know you have Nier Bouton um, ready to come back next month, but mm. he's been out for months and months. He's going to take a while to get back up to match fitness. That's going to be nearly half a season done by the time he's ready to come back, and many Celtic fans aren't convinced by him anyway. You think of the likes of Callum McGregor, who's kind of played there previously. He's moved into a more forward position. He's moved out onto the left-hand side, etc. You've got Tom Rogic, who's never played as deep as, as any of those players. So I think John McGinn was like the natural cover for for those sort of players, the player that can kind of take the load off Scott Brown on, on certain occasions, take the load off Olivia and Cham on certain occasions when these players need a rest, or like in the scenario of Saturday when we're between two important European ties. I think John McGinn would have got plenty of games this season. I think he, he would have been... and he, he, Many people have compared him to Stuart Armstrong. Obviously, he's a different type of player, but he, he is more of the level of Stuart Armstrong than the likes of Scott Allen and Ryan Christie. He's played, yeah. he's played, played so many games for Hibs and St Mirren over the last few years. He knows the league inside out. He plays every single week. He's a leader on the pitch. He's everything that we're kind of looking for in a young Scottish midfielder. There was no, there's nobody really anyone beyond John McGinn who you would rather sign who is young and Scottish. Mm. So I just don't understand why we never went out and got him. And to the question, does it really matter? I think, yes, it does. And I think it matters not only in terms of his ability, but in the sense that Brendan Rodgers was clearly a big fan of the player and he wasn't explicitly backed in the transfer window as we would expect as fans. So Brendan Rodgers, as you say, wants him. He obviously wanted him. He saw a way back from years, well, a couple of years since he's been in Scottish football, the comments he's made on various occasions about John McGinn. I remember the one, uh, I think it was last season, when he was chatting about McGinn and he was asked whether McGinn, how he played against Brown. And it always stuck out that rather than saying, oh, he was really good, he actually said something along the lines of, oh, no, Scott was really good and he, he kind of bossed McGinn a wee bit. It was almost as if he was giving him a pet yeah. talk rather mm-hmm. than talking up an opposition player like he normally would. So that really gave me the idea. It was no secret that Brendan Rodgers wanted him. It was no secret, obviously, then to the Celtic board that Brendan Rodgers wanted him. So why why did we not get him? At what stage did this break down? Uh, why did we try and put in pennies when, when uh, Hibs wanted pounds at the start? And why was this allowed to happen? And who's to blame, Stevie? Probably, you've got to say, habit with Celtic. Because, we've, let's be honest, we've never been a, a club throughout history that have just went, right, we'll go out and we'll offer decent money. We'll show a bit of respect to the other team. We'll pay them what this player's worth. Celtic will always try and do everything on the cheap and I don't think they're ever going to change and I think with John McGinn genuinely the board have just had a think about it and just went and the guy still plays in Scotland he's just at Hibs we'll just get away with playing the bare minimum and on this occasion the arrogance has just came back to bite them because it's an arrogance at Hibs in my opinion were right not to stand for we should have been paying over 3 million for him because he'd be worth, he'd be worth comfortably double that in a couple of years. He already is, I think. The, yeah, the minute he went to Villa, he's probably yeah. he's worth way million. more than two point eight million. Villa have won a watch; it's incredible. And 
Yeah, I think that is what it ultimately is. Celtic will always try and do things in the cheap. Um, the only time I think Celtic really haven't done it is when we actually got Rodgers in. I mean, that was a big, big statement in the end. Yeah, and Edward's the most recent one. And I know that obviously we paid a record fee in nine million, but we did recoup that right I mean, you know, a week later or so with Armstrong going to Southampton. Um, and I think that was definitely on their minds when that fee was paid. So I think it honestly is the board have just not paid the proper respect to John McGinn and Hibbs and just basically felt, nah, we are above all that, we won't we'll flex our muscles and just get away with the bare minimum like we have done with Hibbs for what the past eight, nine years and in this occasion they quite rightly they didn't stand for it. So Stevie's talking there about the last eight or nine years with Hibbs and mm-hmm. does this remind you of Stephen Fletcher Gate at all, John? It it does in a sense. I mean if you look at it from another perspective, I mean, if you, you you look at it and kind of try and play devil's advocate to Stevie's argument, John McGinn was in the last year of his contract. He's a Celtic fan. The likelihood is that he would have wanted to move to Celtic and that in January, with six months left on his contract, we might be able to open discussions and negotiate an even lower fee. But when we're playing with teams in the English Championship and we're playing with teams down in England too, can spend £2.8 million almost without a second thought, then we can't really be having these sorts of thoughts regarding you know saving a few hundred thousand pounds for the sake of it. And I think Stevie's right in the sense that it is a little bit arrogant. And I think that we just expected John McGinn to turn up at Celtic Park regardless and that if an English team did come in for him, then we would simply match it and he would want to come to us. But football doesn't work like that. Professional footballers don't work like that. He may have been a boyhood fan, but players now grow up in their teams not really supporting any team. They grow up kind of playing their football, thinking about their own career and, you know, what's the best move for them in their career. And Aston Villa at this point is a good move for John McGinn. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It's a good move for Aston Villa. And Celtic have just been left looking pretty stupid in my opinion. I think that we've just been left looking like we don't really know what we're doing and we don't understand the transfer market and we don't anticipate things happening in the transfer market. We don't know the thoughts of Hibs, who we should, who are raising good players and are a good team in our own division. We don't understand how they do business. And the whole thing is just a complete farce, in my opinion. And I think it's solely down to whoever deals with transfers at Celtic and I think they should be criticised for it from now until the end of John McGinn's career. Because it's just it's ridiculous. Mm. So is it down to, in your opinion, then, John, a bit more naivety in the transfer market rather than a not having the money or b not wanting to spend the money? Well, we do have the money, and and that's the thing about it. That's maybe the most frustrating thing about it. We do have the money. We know we have the money. Every fan in the world knows we have the money, but for some reason, Celtic seem to struggle. Celtic seem to be the only club in the world who seem to struggle operating within their own, you know, kind of transfer wheelhouse. We know what our budget for players is. We know the kind of players we need in the squad. We know that improvements are needed. We know that Rodgers wants a young Scottish look to his team. And John McGinn's sitting there for the sake of £800,000. I think our, our, our third rejected bid from Hibs was £2 million. For the sake of £800,000, we've decided to roll the dice in the transfer market. And it's just like... What are you doing? What are you doing? That's just pointless. Mm. And then, but we're happy to go out and spend, you know, two and a half million pounds on Abu Kuasi, who Roger seen once for Krasnodar and seemed to think he looked all right. Yeah, it's a bizarre one, isn't it, Stevie? The fact you'd 
he'd go and fork out that money for a guy that I think Abu Krasi had played 12 competitive matches in his career when we signed him away in, in Russia. I mean, we know you like Russia, but even then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely a strange one, Hamish. But at the same time, look, I'm certainly not going to be here criticising Abu Krasi now because I still think he deserves plenty of chance as well. But yeah, in terms of the money situation, just, you know, shelling out what... Three million for him, um, totally unproven. But when it comes to McGinn, who's actually stood out, let's not forget against Celtic, you know Rangers, Hearts, mm. Aberdeen, all the big teams in the league. John McGinn has clearly been a standout, and we've still dally dally gone. Uh, I don't know, should we really spend that money on him? It's can't get my head around it, and ultimately now we're debating it. But it's all done, and John McGinn will go on to have a fantastic career from wherever he ends up after Aston Villa. Yeah, it's frustrating because I mean you you'll never see John McGinn back now unless his career goes absolutely downhill, which it just won't because the minute they go into that market, you've seen the the Ross McCormick story. The minute they go into that market, it's twelve, fourteen, sixteen million. You're talking yep. about from now on. Gen- no genuine, genuine prediction: John McGinn's career trajectory is going to go similar to Andy Robertson. That's what I predict. Hmm. It, it wouldn't surprise me. He's he's got the right temperament, the same temperament that Andy Robertson has. Uh, I heard a story the other day that apparently his first Scotland training camp, he was he was helping the the kit men taking the you know the the balls and all that kind of stuff out the bus. Really hands on guy, and Gordon Strachan apparently said straight away, "I want that guy in all my squads." And I think the minute he goes down south, and it's it's quite a a, a league that I think will be suited to him. The championship because a lot of football's played. He enjoys his football. He can play pretty much every week, every midweek. John McGinn, and it's a it's a real league that the fast paced, uh, what do you call it, box to box kind of game that will really suit him. So. I think uh, I think I could I could well see him in the Premier League with or without Villa. I think they've probably a good chance of going up this year. Uh, but even without Villa, I could see him in the Premier League in a couple of years. And yeah, maybe that could be a a prediction we look back on in a couple of years and go. Stevie predicted it. So you never know. <laughs> what about the centre back conundrum then, John? Because it's uh, oh. it is a bit of a, a struggle at the moment. Quite possibly the most frustrating thing about Celtic at the moment is the fact that we have centre backs and they're either shite. Or the haters. Yeah, well, let's look at that, right? So you've got Jozo Simonovic, who seems to play hospital ball every five balls now, and who Rogers clearly doesn't rate and hasn't rated. Honking. He's 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 gone from a player who was physically imposing and confident, who cleared his lines into a player who doesn't really look like he knows what he's doing, who's rash in the can, tackle and he's ill disciplined. Can we take them? Can we take them one at a time then, John? Yeah. Why has that happened to him? Um, I'm not sure. Injuries. If, I'm not sure if Rodgers has tried to adapt to the way he's played or it's just a loss of confidence um, or he knows that the manager doesn't rate him. I mean, he got sent off at Ibrox and wasn't seen again that season. Um, and and, and Rodgers has done that with Svichenko as well, so he's probably thinking the writing's on the wall here for me. Um, I'm not sure what's gone wrong with Simonovic. I used to be a big fan of him, but perhaps he was just kind of riding the crest of a wave in terms of, you know, becoming popular with the Celtic support and... The, the, the team over the few months that he looked really good, everyone in the team looked good over those few months and it was kind of, we just looked unbeatable yeah. and he looked like a player who relished, you know, going into the into the, into matches and kind of battling and now he looks like a player who doesn't really care about playing for Celtic, if I'm honest. Yeah. What about um, Christopher Ayer next then? Because he's a, he's a player that I think I think he's definitely got a future. I, I wouldn't write him off at all. I think he's been pretty solid, to be honest, in the, the time he's come in since whatever it's been, probably about a year ago that he first came in 
playing those qualifiers last year, I seem to remember. And he, he's been pretty decent enough. I still think he just gets caught out. But you've got to remember he's, what, is he 19, 20 years old? He's very young. He's so maybe it's yeah. almost un- unfair to see him as a, a first-choice centre-back at the moment. Yeah, there is that. I mean, I mean, and he is better probably than he was this time last year. But when you look at him playing, I, I still think he's kind of... He's prone to kind of being out position. He still sometimes looks unsure of himself when players are running at him. He also, sometimes when there's cross balls, he looks less than convincing. There's elements to his game where you're thinking he does look a bit like a midfielder playing as a centre-back. And then there's other times where he's looking, you know, he's really taken taken to the game and getting to grips with the game and getting stuck into the opposition. It's kind of that inconsistency right now. And he, he, he seems to have the right attitude and mentality to play for Celtic, but... I, there's still question marks for me in terms of his defensive ability, which might come as he learns to play the position more and more. Um, but the jury, the jury's still out on him as well. Although he is improving and deserves deserves to be in the squad, I think. But I think it's difficult to make a case that he should be our first choice centre back in every game going forward this season. Mm. Jack Hendry's come in for a lot of criticism, Stevie. I know you're. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan, but you certainly think that he'll come good for us. I do. I think he eventually will, but. I mean, I think the now he's very jittery because he clearly needs a very strong partner next to him. And it's yeah. not that. He said, ah, you're next to him, and then Simunovic on Saturday. There's no consistency. He can't build a, a partnership with someone that is, is, is constantly rotating all the time. And the manager has to carry the can for that as well because he has to really pick a settled defence. Um, I honestly do think, and Jack Henry, that game on Saturday, right, and yeah, um, he wasn't good at all. It was actually it was actually one of the most unimpressive performances we had. But I do think he'll learn from it and I think he'll get better and better for us in time. I don't think we can write him off at all. And the thing is though, I think he's older than Semenovich. Like he's 20, 23. 23. Yeah, he's twenty three. Yeah. And his career he's been That's playing. It's bizarre, isn't yeah, it? He doesn't even like it. It's mad. And look, at the same time I do feel well for him because he should be having a solid uh, you know, I saw a defender next to him, talking him through the game, helping him positionally, helping him tactically, yeah, agree, yeah. Totally. just helping him in confidence. And you saw the longer the game went on, so even if he didn't have a clue um, about <laughs> himself, he, not, he didn't have a clue about himself. I'm not saying that with any glee, because I mean, I, no, I, I, know. I, I know. like Big Yozo, uh, I do yeah. like Big Yozo, I think he's, uh, when, he's, when he's on form, he's great, but he's not been on form for quite some time now, and every time that big, um, like Piazzo is it, he completely bullied him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when you're yeah, so, you're, so you're Jack Henry, right, and you're seeing a senior player in Shuminovich being totally bossed all over the place by the big man up front, you're going Jack Henry, and then you're saying, well, I can't really lift myself after that, because he's, I mean, who you might be taking any sort of confidence from after it, so I do feel for him, and I, mm. I, will, I do stick by him, I think. The manager will show faith in him and he will get better. But yeah, certainly now he deserves criticism because none of them right now are good enough and are not shown what they're capable of. Yeah, what you would give for a, a Colo Touré right now at the back, obviously he came in a couple of years ago and how calm he was take, talking us through. I think it was maybe Owen O'Connell he was playing next to for a couple of those games and he talked them through the match. You just do anything for that right now. Uh, and then, of course, the final one, unless I'm missing anyone, John, is Derdrick uh, Van Dyke. Yeah, there's two left. There's Derdrick Boyata and there's Marvin Comper, who seems to have gone missing again. Um, oh, he's played one Christ. match since he's arrived and seems to either have an injury or is just on holiday somewhere. Who knows? Who knows? Rogers doesn't <laughs> even talk about him anymore. The press don't even ask about him anymore. I think he's away in the Dirk Berichter course of fucking avoiding Celtic. Yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, Boyata. Director actually did something, didn't he? He actually played a wee bit. Yeah, well, not about two games. But anyway, Boyata. <laughs> Boyata is rapidly annoying me, and I actually hate him now after what's happened over the last few days. I think having his agent come out in the press and say that he's not going to be playing for Celtic again because he doesn't want to risk his future career by playing at 95% because of a phantom back injury is just one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen from a Celtic player in my time supporting the club. It's just it's utterly, utterly pathetic when you consider that he would be nothing without Brendan Rodgers. He would be nothing without Celtic. And we've been fans have been so patient with him. There's many fans who have never rated him, and I count myself in that. But there have been fans who have been willing to back him and show him support. There's been times where he's had inconsistent form. There's been times where he's made horrendous mistakes, uh, domestically and in Europe against Rangers. Just everything that you wouldn't want from a defender, Leuven's-esque. And then he plays three games in the World Cup for pa- against Panama, against Tunisia. And against a B team, England, who in a game that didn't matter, and suddenly he thinks he's Vincent Company because he's been hanging around with him for a few weeks. It's just <laughs> the most ridiculous thing, and it's just it's horrendous the way he's treating the club. And I think the club need to, to go tomorrow, Monday morning, look at any interest in in him at all, and basically tell him to get to because you can't have his agent turning up at Lennox Town harassing Brendan Rodgers the day before a match. It's just it's ludicrous. John clearly raging. Uh, Stevie, where do you come down in this one? Uh, genuinely, I, I just see it as a modern day football now. If things aren't going their way, go to their agent and go, listen, pff, I'm not fancying this. Do you fancy just sorting me out? So that's honestly what I see it as. I see it as that is the, mo- the epitome of modern day footballer where loyalty has, has went out the window and it's no, it's no being really within these guys' uh, first interest in, in core for. A number of years, and I don't think Boyata is any different to the sort of antiques you see down, like William Gallas, for example, down going, yeah. I'm going to down tails, I'm not in the mid for this. And that was what, in 2006, and that was that was like with, with Chelsea to go to Arsenal, it's, it's never going to change. So if a footballer doesn't fancy it, they're, they're never going to, they're, the down tails part will just come into play, the agent will do all the dirty work and one of the most annoying things is Fulham came in with a £9 million bid mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know what over, apparently. Uh, do you know what though, right, on the one hand I can see the points of people going, oh Celtic, what are you doing not on that back, but on the other hand look, with the way that money is down there and how stupidly teams are run down there Fulham will probably come back and go right fine, we'll give you £20 million then so I can see Celtic <laughs> holding out because I wouldn't put it past these teams. They're absolutely idiots. So, boy, I will go now. But whether it's for that money again, um, either lesser than offered or more, remains to be seen. But I do agree with John. He's certainly acting like a daft wee boy in these uh, days are numbered at Celtic. The thing about it is, I think that rejected bid seems foolish, but I think there was a genuine trust from Brendan Rodgers that if it was rejected at the very least, Boyata would still perform for the team. He talked about having chats with him when he returned from the World Cup and how he seemed positive and like he's a good lad and all this nonsense. And I think that was a misstep on on behalf of Brendan Rodgers to say, no, I definitely want him in the team, don't accept any bids regardless of what it is. 
because if it was up to Celtic, you know that they would take that money. So I think there's been a slight miscommunication or, a, or Brendan Rodgers has placed his trust in Boyata where it's not merited, which is probably what you could say about selecting them consistently over the last 18 months. But I just think, and it is the modern football, but you, you rarely see... You rarely see it become so public at Celtic, I think, and you rarely see stuff like the, the agent turning up at the training ground, etc. It's just that because it's all so public and the, the quotes are so direct and kind of to the point that I think it's taken a few people by surprise, me included, and I just hope it's all resolved. I don't really care. I hope he just pisses off tomorrow, to be honest. Mm. Imagine he broke a transfer record. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, well, you never know. You never know. What is it? 13, 14 million, something like that. You never know. Uh, Derek Boyata, yeah, so where does it leave us in terms of our centre backs? Obviously, Boyata seemingly out of action for the, the game against Ike Athens. Um, Ayer is also out. He's suspended after picking up a booking, uh, which seems crazy. He can be suspended this early into the season. So, probably looking at, dare I say it, Henry and Simunovic. Yeah, yeah. That's a bit worrying, isn't it, when you see what Ick Piazzo and Lafferty did to them? God knows what uh, the Greek champions could do. I mean, that, that's for me. As I say, we will come on to uh, the game preview for, for the game on Tuesday night a little bit later on, but it just it just really doesn't look good when you've got those two at the back. They're just prone to mistakes, both of them. They're both absolutely shattered for confidence. For me, Brendan Rodgers has just got to look and do something different there. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's moving Lustig, that classic moving Lustig into centre-back. Uh, but then I, I don't know if I trust Gamboa. To be honest, I don't know if I trust Lustig at right-back. Uh, it's just, it's just The, the defence is just a shambles. And my point is that just every single year we go into these qualifiers, every single year, you could honestly you could look back at every year in these qualifiers and there's always some sort of defensive crisis. And I get you can't help injuries and and all that kind of stuff. But to be honest, a lot of them aren't even injuries. It's just not been not having enough cover at the back, not signing quality enough players. I mean, you, you think back, just ones that come up to the top of my head, the, the Owen O'Connell in, in Kazakhstan, and Stephen Moyakolo against uh, Karagandi away in Kazakhstan as well. Sadiyanko. Yes. <laughs> Why was Sadiyanko anywhere near it? There was one... Last year, I'm sure as well. At the top of my head, I can't quite remember. Uh, Malmo and ones like that. It's just it's daft how this happens every single year, and it's just there's no seems to be no forward planning. And I'm sure a lot of that just comes down to the transfer business. Uh, I've got the name Lee Congerton. Where does he fit into all of this, Stevie? Well, I I can't say I know much about him other than yeah. um, the guy's on obviously just as much thanks on SB Nation, but one of the biggest. On SB Nation is Roka Report, who are massive um, for the Sunderland side of things. And when mm-hmm. Congerton joined Celtic, they were they were absolutely delighted that he was out of the club. There were so many reactionary tweets just saying that it was useless for them. It brought an absolute dross, and it was a deeply unpleasant man. Apparently, but I don't know how true that is or not. But it might just be the fact that Sunderland mm-hmm. were having the worst season in our. Uh, Lives and his fans, I don't think they'd seen just how bad they were. They were still in the Premiership at the time, I believe. Uh, or may have been the Championship. Either way, they were terrible. So, with Lee Congerton, certainly um, he should be identifying. Maybe he has been identifying the players, though. And mm-hmm. the, bo- the board have just went, nah. Cause and I, I think this is part of the problem, is that we don't actually know what the hierarchy of the club is in terms of transfers. 
you know you've got Lee Congerton who heads up the scouting team, but is he directly involved in the negotiations for players? Is he, like Stevie says, is he actually finding targets that the board are just failing to to bring, or is he part in the negotiations and failing and that side of things too? It's, it's hard to know who does what when it comes to transfers because Celtic don't like speaking publicly about it. And I think fans deserve a little bit more transparency, I think, at this point, considering that we seem to be fucking up in the transfer market on a six-monthly basis. And we've we've been doing this podcast, and I think there's been four transfer windows since we've been doing it. And every single one, I've not thought that we've done stellar business in, in any of the transfer windows. And we haven't fixed the centre-back no. positions for years and years and years. So I'm not sure that a lot of people are saying Lee Congerton's a problem, but is that just a scapegoat? It seems to be the people who want to defend Law, Law, uh, Peter Lawwell that seem to be pointing the finger at Congerton. A lot of the usual suspects who like to defend Lawwell a lot on social media seem to be pointing the finger at him. So I'm not sure if it's his fault. I'm not sure if it's the Celtic Board's fault. I'm not sure if it's Brendan Rodgers' fault. The problem is we don't know because we don't know... But there's no transparency that nobody really talks about it. Brendan Rogers is the person who talks about it most and it's clear he isn't happy so I trust his opinion you know so who knows mm. maybe interesting actually to get one of those guys for Roker Report on the podcast in future just for a couple of minutes just to hear a wee bit about Lee Congerton because it's quite interesting to hear the, the kind of players they brought in because obviously Sunderland have had a bit of a nosedive they look like they're a wee bit of an upward curve under Jack Ross, but they're in League One at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see how much of an impact they felt their, their player recruitment had, and that probably quite a large impact, definitely. Uh, we're chatting about the defenders there. Um, are, are the attackers getting off lightly here? Because I, certainly I saw the game yesterday. Uh, I saw the first half anyway. I heard the second half on the radio as I'm walking into the game I was at on top of my head. Griffiths' first half chance cleared off the line. The Rogic shot in the second half. Another Rogic one that went over the bar. Uh, was there anything else, really? No, there wasn't. But, you know, you look at who we were playing. But we weren't starting with James Forrest, right? The majority of our play for our attackers. We weren't even starting Edward to feed anything off either. So when we're not playing Edward and we're not playing Forrest, right away we're at a disadvantage because we've got, you know, Forrest is comfortably one of our most offensive outlets Edward's a very creative striker as well so right away I mean with the greatest, greatest respect here because I do actually like Lee Griffiths but when you're starting him you know ahead of Edward for these games and then you've got Johnny Hayes who hasn't played a lot of football and for an extremely effective James Forrest right away you're at a disadvantage because you're going to Tynecastle as well which has now became a hard place to go again after it became the three points arena for Celtic for so long so I think, um, you know, asking Johnny Hayes to be supplying Griffiths, who in the two of them, remember, haven't played a lot of football right away, um, it's, it's, it's tough to blame them. And Scott Sinclair has been absolutely shocking recently, but what I would say about him is he was actually no bad in the first 20-odd minutes, but then he just completely, he completely fell out of the game after that, as always. And I'm actually surprised that he's still at Celtic now. It doesn't look as if he's enjoying his time. It, it doesn't look... It, I think he knows the fans are the fans are frustrated with him, and he can't be enjoying it either because every defender now knows what he's what he's going to do, and right away he looks a player completely a shadow of what he was two two seasons ago, and honestly I, I'll be I will be very stunned if he if he sees out the season was. Yeah, the thing is now though now the English window shut like who's going to sign him? You know, it's, that's the thing. Rangers. <laughs> I think Stevie's right though. I think having Hayes and Griffiths coming to the team who haven't played a lot 
that was always going to be difficult. Then the fact that we're not playing Cham in the middle, who is basically the playmaker of the side at the moment, you look at the match... He's the best player, isn't he, in Cham? You, He's you a look at, man. Yes, you look, yes. You look at the match on Wednesday night, everything oh. ran through Cham. Ev- absolutely every single time we went into the final third, he had touched the ball two or three times before we got there. And I think not having him in the side... And and we won't go on too much about him because he hasn't played many games for Celtic. But replacing him with Abu Kwasi, who didn't seem to be able to play that role at all, or didn't have the confidence to play that role, I think that was just the, uh, another major factor in the in in terms of not being able to create anything on Saturday. And I think when you look at it, a lot of people go on about how the the depth at Celtic have, but when we're looking at it, if you're if we're being the most optimistic that we can be about Saturday. It's that we we don't have it in us to beat Hearts when we make five changes to the team, and is that the quality of the Celtic squad that we want? I'm not sure it is, and I think we need better players and and basically every position. To be to be frank, yeah. I don't think Johnny Do, H is good enough. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think I could go for a few of them, and I, I didn't really miss anyone on, on the Twitter feed. Just touching on the book, I very quickly. What kind of player is he? I don't want to slam the guy, but I can't quite work out yet. I mean, is he a ball winner? Is he a box-to-box midfielder? Is he a playmaker? Surely he, not. He's, he's is he a, a kind of near beat on key, clean passer of the ball? What is he? He started off on Saturday kind of screening the defence, but then he came into the game more when he was kind of given more of a licence to play further forward, and he did play a few simple passes, and he did kind of try and get himself involved in the match before he was subbed off, but... It just wasn't working out for him, and he, he he was pretty much bullied off the ball when he did try to to dribble forward, and he didn't look convincing in a defensive sense either. I thought he had a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. I know I know he's yeah. young, and I know he's not used to Scottish football, but it was the wrong match to play him. To to be frank, and I know the argument is they were resting players for Tuesday, etc. And and that that may be a factor, and we may get the result on Tuesday, and none of this matters. But I think having I think having Kwasi as the main central midfield backup to Brown and Cham is going to cost us this season if that's the way we finish the transfer window. Mm. Right. So Hearts beat us dirty, horrible, jambo so and so. What do we, what do we kind of think of them? Because they were really up to their old tricks, and it, it was it was obviously Stephen Naismith and Kyle Lafferty. We were forefront of it. Lafferty were a terrible challenge early on. Naismith. I think he, he kicked out at Johnny Hayes, didn't he? And he also kind of um, was shouting at Johnny Hayes when he was down on the ground injured. It was it was a bit of a nasty performance from them, but it was kind of what we come to expect. Is this Celtic team too nice to teams like that, Stevie? Do we need someone to go and sort out players like that? Yeah, I've been saying it for ages, Hamish, about this Celtic team. They're not set up to ever be physical. I mean, I think they're set up to take teams apart and dismantle teams apart by playing football but you can't always do that no when you go to Tynecastle and now under Craig Levine it was alright under Ian Caffro um, when they were doing that and they were always just you were picking up points and before that under um, there wasn't Robin no, even yeah but even under Robin Nielsen actually it was uh, he made that a wee bit difficult certainly um, the Hearts team since they came back under Caffro anyway were just there to be beaten and we did it with complete ease now with Levine um, and credit to him in a way he's he has made Tynecastle a, a tough place to go again but surely surely there's been many Celtic teams in the past the Neil Lennon Celtic teams are the old um, Gordon Strachan they could mix it up they could they could play for I mean you'd, we were winning 
at Tynecastle um, in 05, 06 and all that we luxury players like Nakamura were playing and all that Sean Maloney but we still had the dig to you know like the 3-2 game for example that one in New Year when McManus scored two yeah. goals we had to really dig that out and it was a physical game we were getting kicked away the place and we had players that were still you know going totally over and back on Saturday I was just watching dismayed by the fact that yeah. you know Hearts were doing, doing everything physically and also psychologically to win that game and just unset was and it worked because we we you know, I was expecting in the second half to, to for tackles to be flying in, you know, for Naismith to be on the deck after sixty odd minutes at some point, flyly or deliberately, um, and it never happened and it was so disappointing. Um and right at the end, Jack Henry, you know, got whooped and oh, fouled him and then in the end and then Naismith, you know, quite was giving it the yeah, sure, right in his face. And yeah. Jack Henry just he just he just took it. Um and it was it was dead disappointing. In a way sitting greeting about Naismith and Lafferty would that's not really the big issue. The big yeah. issue is Celtic in just terms of yeah. being a tougher a tougher mentally team and I, nah, I totally we, just, agree. we don't seem to be. I totally Thanks. agree. I, I mean I think you know they are dirty, they are horrible, they are jambo bastards, but when has that stopped us before? Stevie's totally right. And I think we can either look at it two ways. You can moan about them being dirty, you can moan about them being horrible. You can say what you like about Stephen Naismith, he is a little idiot. Lafferty is an idiot. I don't like Levine either. But you can't deny that we should be... What's the point in whining about it? We need our team to be facing up to that and getting stuck in amongst the... Getting stuck in about it. You want Scott Brown to give that patodgy attitude. You want us to get in their faces. You want us to be the team that are annoying to them. And we just kind of rolled over on Saturday. It was pretty pathetic. Pretty pathetic. Yeah. For me, that was one of the most kind of frustrating things about the match was you knew... He knew pretty much from about half an hour in uh, the way the game was going because we weren't doing much going forward and he knew Hearts were just first to everything. He knew obviously that the big Piazza was bullying our two centre-halves. They were winning the midfield battle. Um, and it was just really frustrating that lessons haven't been learned from that match last year when we lost 4-0 because we, we went into the, the next match at Tynecastle you remember, when the league was won and there was a real feeling that we wanted to get some revenge and I know we'd just beaten them at Celtic Park before then 3-1 but we won 3-1 again at Tynecastle we went behind in that match against Naismith and Lafferty I think it was Lafferty that scored and we fought back and won that game when the league was won so the team had a point to prove in that day and I just felt that they almost I don't know I mean you don't know how much of a, an influence that the match on Tuesday had or the, the match on the Wednesday before had and obviously the fact that we made four or five changes whatever it was but you just felt there could have been much more effort if we'd have lost that game to a bit of quality. And it was a decent finish from Laugh. It was preventable, but a decent finish. Um, if we'd have lost that game to a real quality goal and we'd given our all and we had the games coming up or whatever, you could have taken it slightly more. It was just the fact that it was almost humiliation, wasn't it, the defeat? It was 1-0, but it was humiliation the way the game went on and the way our players just get bullied and we were second to every ball and there was just very little fight. And I just find that very difficult. And it's something that was obviously put towards, certainly Tony Mowbray's teams, it was put towards uh, Ronnie Dyla's teams at stages. And I think in, in certain times as well, in terms of the helplessness, 
not always in terms of being bullied, but in terms of helplessness. It can be said about Brendan Rodgers' teams. You look back at, at Zenit last season, um, and certainly games like Bayern Munich, where obviously you're up against different opposition, and Hearts last year as well, and even the game we lost at Kilmarnock at Rugby Park last year, we were bullied in the game as well. So it's um, it's, it's a bit disappointing. I, I know the team can't be at their best every week, and, and we know this this team have won six out of six domestic trophies and unbeaten season the year before last. We know all of that, but you just expect so much more, especially in a, a massive game like Tynecastle away, second game in the season. But anyway, it's, it's written off now. We're sixth in the league. Uh, it's unusual to see us that low below <laughs> the likes of Rangers, Hibs, Hearts, Kilmarnock. Uh, we're above Motherwell, though. It's a positive. <laughs> well, everyone's above Motherwell. <laughs> They're bottom of the league. So uh, it could be worse. It could be Alan Burrows right now. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll turn attention now to, to Tuesday. Uh, the Greek tragedy. Or will it be a Greek, t- Greek tragedy, John, in Athens? Um... In my opinion, it will be if I had to make a prediction on it. I think we can go through. I think we've got the quality to go through. But I, I think if anyone's feeling confident about us going through, I don't think they're facing up to the reality of where we are right now and the the morale in the team and, and, where, and the state of the defence that we've got. I think we would need to score a goal. Obviously, we need to score at least one goal. But you're looking at maybe us needing to score two or three if we're going to have a chance of going through because although the Athens attack isn't perhaps the most formidable in Europe, I think even if you watch the game when we went to Norway and played Rosenberg, I know they didn't create much either, but there was periods in that match where we looked a little bit nervy and all kind of unhappy with how yeah. the game was going. And I think when you, when you apply that to travelling to Greece in a bigger stadium with a more... Um, animated crowd with pressure mounting on the team and the fact that the ties poised at 1-1 I'm not sure if we can trust the mentality of this team to see the tie through at the same time we've not really been let down in qualifying by Rodgers teams in the past so you wouldn't write us off and say it's a given that we're going to be knocked out but I'm certainly not feeling confident about it Yeah, If you take that stage further we've not actually really properly ever been let down by a Brendan Rodgers team on, on the whole I know the, the Champions League group stages have yeah. been disappointing but you could argue we've, we've always, maybe Zenit's the one argument, but we've always kind of met our targets in terms of getting to the group stages and we've won every domestic trophy so you could argue that whenever this, this team is, is called upon uh, or a bit of pressure put on them they always come up top trumps uh, I'm just not sure. I think we might struggle here. We, we usually do the predictions at the end, but I think I'll get mine out straight out of the way. I think we'll lose three 0 on Tuesday. I know. I know that sounds absolutely <laughs> diabolical. I think um, it's it's only going to be one or the other, isn't it? It's not going to be a, yeah. a middle in performance. We're either going to be really good and secure the result, or we're going to get absolutely humped. Yeah, I mean, I, I just it comes down quite simply to. Uh, we're not playing very well at the moment. I think this team, I think AK are actually a pretty good team. If they were to make the group stage of the Champions League, uh, I don't think they'd be beating every game, put it that way. I think they'd take some points off some bigger teams. I think they've got one of the best defences in Europe. They only conceded 12 goals last year. I think the way they defended for the second half, it was backs to the wall, it was 10 men behind the ball uh, when they got the man sent off. But I think they were really good. They knew exactly what they were doing. And I think the way the ties set... Uh, and the fact that they actually they don't need to come out and, and score goals. The 0-0 takes them through, I think suits them very nicely. So 
I have the tie about, if I'm honest at the moment, I have about 70-30 in favour of AK, but I, I do think that they'll be too strong for us. I think it'll be a classic Celtic European performance of an early mistake, an early goal, probably another one before half-time, and then uh, a, a killer off before the hour mark, and then I think you'll start to see Celtic performing well in the last 20 minutes and, and making his goal. Oh, you never know, we came kind of close, maybe even scoring a late goal, but I just, I just think they'll be too good for us. I think they're... I think it comes. I think we're a better team going forward than them. I think there's an argument to say we've got better players than them, but I just think the way they defend uh, is is night and day from. I mean, you're looking at a terrible Celtic defence and a really really good AK defence. I think that'll be the difference in the tie. Uh, so yeah, three three nil for me, Stevie. I think it'll be uh, pretty routine for them. I don't, Hamish. I don't. But look, bear in mind, we all know that I thought about the Zenit game getting into that when we were one 0 up. What did you think? Because uh, I did think I, I said on the blog Zenit are idiots We're already through <laughs> <laughs> They are idiots did, did you see the result last week? No They, they lost 4-0 yeah. to Dynamo Minsk In the first leg And uh, the winner of that plays Hibs Or Mulder Of course Jeez Right well there we are They are idiots I was right I predicted it <laughs> No but I mean It was like the Zenit game We won 1-0 right Zenit's performance was stinking one of the worst I'd seen and then after about seven minutes or so we go one, one behind and in all probability right that's that's more than likely what's happened with a Celtic team on Tuesday but I just feel I would take the risk on Dembele for it I think it would give us such a lift for yeah. that game on Tuesday uh, Mr Dembele right even if he's not 100% I would take the risk on him because look that English transfer Wendy that's done now he's not going to go down there at least um, and he doesn't need to worry about like getting he doesn't, we don't need to worry about losing him for that alright arguably a team in France or something may come in for him on the last day of the window we shall see but it was a big one losing him for England was the one that I was worried about and that can't happen now I would honestly risk him barely for it on Tuesday I think he is clearly when he's still the best striker mm-hmm. at the club and I think if he can be, if he can be on the park at some point, and if we all know that all he needs is one chance, and if we get it, I honestly I can see he's, I can see he's going through. Um, but it, it's all down to it's all down to him, and it's all down to him being a spearhead and attack. If he's not playing, uh, I I would worry because as good as Edward is, Celtic are going to have to be set up um, really really compact. And Edward is brilliant when we're free flowing and attacking, yeah. and you've got bodies going forward, but. We can't afford to do that um, because they will completely pick us off. And one of the things I also do worry about is Jack Henry for it because I think we'll see him um, as a massive weak link. He wasn't too impressive. He wasn't too impressive against him in um, last week. But Aya, in my opinion, was actually worse out of the two of them. And I think Jack Henry's going to be targeted. And the big guy up front is it Levaya, the Croatian boy. He's um, he's he's quite a decent player from what I was seeing on Tuesday. But I just still fancy it might be the stupid romantic in me with Celtic. I just still fancy <laughs> to go through. What I'm gonna I'm gonna say, I'm gonna predict it, right? One each and Celtic to do it in penalties. Oh no. I couldn't take that. Yes. Probably rather a three 0 defeat than that. I I mean oh. I could see I could see that because I don't think I don't think they're an amazing team. I think you're right about their defence. They're really they're really good at defending and that was clear at Celtic Park, but I think Stevie's right about Dead Belly. I mean, you've got to feature them at some point. He flew over with the squad today, so he's at least in Greece, and he's been training. So I think Rogers must be eyeing 
using them at some point um, across the 90 minutes and hopefully that gives us an edge because I think Stevie's bang on. I think Edwards and Dembele, I know they've got, so they're both French, they're, you know, they're both young French and talented, cost a lot of money, but they're actually radically different players. Dembele's really physical and I think that that could suit us against the defence that is going to be tough and challenging and, you know, um, able to deal with cro- balls crossed into the box, etc. I think maybe having Dembele in there disrupting a little bit could could pay off massively for us. So I think we'll go out. I think they'll win. I think they'll win two 0 or something. I don't think um, that's my that's my official prediction is they win two 0 But hopefully Stevie's scenario plays out and it's it's perfect and we we'll go through. Right. Let me waffle on for about thirty seconds and feel free to call me an idiot at the end of all this. Um, but I don't feel that elimination from the Champions League this year, uh, certainly for me personally, is as damaging as the last couple of years. Um, to be honest, I've been completely um, sobered, I suppose, by the uh, by the results in the group stage over the last couple of years. Barca 7-0, PSG 5-0, 7-1, Bayern 3-0 away from home have all completely pissed me off. The Champions League's great, it's got all this fantastic money, that's the bottom line. The, the money's the main thing. The glamour comes second. It used to be more glamorous when we were able to compete with these top teams. Obviously, the nights are great, full houses, all that kind of thing. For me, the Europa League is more our level. Uh, and in many ways, if it wasn't for the fact we've been missing out on 30, 40 million, whatever it is now in total, uh, I would feel that the Europa League group stage going up against teams that are similar level to us that we can beat and hopefully make inroads in the, the later knockout stages would be would be more appealing to me. But maybe I'm just an idiot. No, I think I think in a sense you're right, but the problem is that it's going to be difficult to qualify for the group stages if we do go out. As we go into the playoff round of the Europa League, we don't go straight into the group stages. So yeah, suddenly and by all likelihood it looks like FK Sadova. Remember them? Yeah, I know, I know. But I know the likelihood as we go through. I'd prefer. I mean, if if I thought that we would lose on on Tuesday. And go straight into the group stages of Europa. I wouldn't feel too bad about it, but just I don't like the idea of playing a playoff round when we're already feeling like we're defeated in Europe. I just don't think that suits Celtic very well. But there's mm-hmm. also the fact that it might stifle our ability to bring in the quality players that Brendan Rodgers wants in in the next couple of weeks. I think having the, the kind of the kind of low hanging fruit of like Champions League football for some of these players that might want to come to the club is is a real a real benefit for us. I think it's an easy way to promote the club as a place that you want to come and play football. I think going into the Europa League kind of cheapens that a little bit and might put us at a disadvantage. So that's what I would say about that as well. Um, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think we're clearly caught between this kind of qualifying stage for of the Champions League and the Europa League um, level. I think we're maybe a little bit better than the Europa League group level but worse than yeah. much worse than Champions League group level. We're kinda of caught between two two things here and it's difficult. So I wouldn't be against seeing us going into Europa League, but I think it does have an impact. Certainly has an impact financially. I think it has an impact in terms of attracting players to the club and I would also be worried about a tricky European tie in, in the playoff round as well. So it, it would be I think it would be a major blow to go on Tuesday, is what I'm saying. Mm. 
Imagine we get Sudova and beat them ten one in aggregate. Folk would be getting a bit excited, wouldn't they? About another <laughs> another potential run. I wonder where the final is of the Europa League this year. The final? Hmm. Hmm, I don't know. It'd be know. some kind of Eastern European country, no doubt. Uh, yeah, I mean the other frustrating <laughs> thing for me is that if we somehow find a way to get, <laughs> if we somehow find a way to get through this tie, we're looking at fucking Videoton on Malmo. Who only just beat us when we had Dial in charge? Another one's got Skepovic up top with the second leg at home. It just it, it feels like you're you're so close you can touch it, but we've got this big massive mountain. I mean, I'm not good with metaphors, but I'm sure someone can work one out. We're kind of getting over one massive thing, and then we're we're just in the the kind of home straight going through. So who knows? Hopefully, we can find a way to get through against AK Athens, but I'm not too. Confident being honest. Uh, right, I sent out a tweet earlier, uh, which is what I like to do now on at Fritz a Grand Dog because I'm in charge. Uh, and I sent out a tweet saying, What one aspect of the current Celtic malaise has pissed you off the most, be it on or off the pitch? Uh, so we got loads of replies. I've kind of sorted them into different wee groups. Uh, this one is around defenders, unsurprisingly. Gary went with, uh, this is one you'll quit like Johnny said. Frustrated me buying those stupid lights instead of a four million centre <laughs> half. Uh, the lights do look good though. I don't know if you've been to Celtic Park, but the um, lights do look good. They'll, they'll look good in the League Cup, so we've got that to look forward to. <laughs> Darren Gilroy, the inability to sort the defence out properly. Paul Nolan says rejecting Fulham's offer for Bayata, which we touched on earlier. Uh, Kira goes for the fact that we have known about our defensive frailties but still haven't fixed them. Touching on John McGinn, Bert Brown goes for the board's penny pinching in the field McGinn deal. Kendo McGinn, not because he rated them, but because Brendan Rodgers wanted them and the board failed him. He deserves better. That was a point uh, that's quite a, an important one that John kind of touched on earlier, Stevie, is the fact that it's maybe not the player McGinn, and we know you rate him as well, but it's the fact that Brendan Rodgers really wanted him at the club that's probably the biggest deal. Yeah, I would say so. I think not only that as well, you've got to remember, right, it's, see if this is anywhere, like, we're, we're calling this a malaise, crisis and all that, right, but ugh, it has to be one of the, the most, you know, tamest crises <laughs> a club's ever had, <laughs> considering you look at our, our overall position, it's really, it is, yeah. it's, I think malaise and all that is definitely the, the wrong word for it, I, I know why the word used, though, I can, I can understand, because I think certainly for all the challenges Brendan Brendan Rodgers has faced since he's came into Celtic as manager this is probably the toughest week or something that he's had so I get it but I think it's I think my the most most galling part of it was the McGinn part for me definitely um, I genuinely I expected far better for the club I don't know why I, I did think this was the year we weren't going to muck about and we'll just pay proper money for players because we needed to get them in um and I do, I honestly, I do feel we're going to rue the McGinn one, just like both Rangers have ended up rude. The fact that we Andy Robertson, they they couldn't be bothered, uh, even scouting them. They didn't send anyone to get them to Queen's Park, and Dundee United mm. then got there before them, and they were playing in the same league, uh, and they they persisted on playing. But was it Stephen Smith at left back when Andy Robertson <laughs> was there? The whole, Andy Robertson was there under their nose the whole time. Clearly a player. Um, and I do feel that's the way it's going to be for us when we begin. Albeit mm. it's no quite, no quite that uh, obvious to what it was for them. Do you think Lisbon Lions came in for criticism the year after they won the European Cup? <laughs> you know the thing is though, I know we've had a period of unprecedented success domestically, but 
and you look at it like the the defeat on Saturday wasn't really a surprise, was it? Because you look at the kind of the way last season panned out. There were loads of performances yeah. that weren't really good enough. We've known about the defensive stuff for ages and ages. So I think the way feel, people are feeling right now, a lot of people are going, you know, it's an overreaction, blah, blah, blah. And, and in a sense, it might be. And it, to other supporters of other clubs, it almost definitely is. But I think when you look at the way... If you've watched every Celtic game over the last 18 months, you can recognise that the team is stagnating a little bit. You recognise the kind of historical context of Celtic never capitalising on a position of strength you look kind of a little bit of side eye across the city to Steven Gerrard coming in and the, that team being buoyant and I, although I'm not scared of them I think we, you need to obviously reassert your authority over the rest of the teams in Scotland and I, I think we're failing to do that this summer and so I think all added up together the fact that it's been so predictable I think that's the reason why so many people are pissed off I don't think it's the little things kind of in isolation. It's just the whole package that people's people sections of the sport have been seen coming for a long, long time, and we've had so long to sort loads of the issues, and we haven't we haven't addressed them. And I think that's why it's so annoying. Yeah, lots of tweets here to agree with what you've just said, John. Gary H says the inevitable, ine- sorry, the inevitability that it would happen always does. E Tim's also going with that same word, inevitability of it happening. Buster saying the fact that we always fail to build from a position of strength beyond a joke. Vladek Volansky going, our greatest challenger was always going to be complacency. It seems it rears its ugly head primarily at board level. The manager wanted McGinn, McGinn wanted Celtic. They should have got him. John Davis, the utter predictability of the board failing to build from a position of strength. Mark Murphy, same shite emoji, excuses every transfer window. The lacking of planning and alternatives is alarming. Dougie Telfer also going for the board not doing their job, which has sparked the most negative week for Celtic since we lost the semi-final under Ronnie Dyla. That sparked all of this. Fans feeling frustrated as history repeats itself for the umpteenth time. And he's worried about history repeating itself here. I mean, where does this go? Does this go Um, to the extent where we end up not winning the league or doing 10 in a row? Is that the real worry? I I honestly don't think we're going to lose the league this season. I really, really don't. I think in terms of, like, how I feel about the team, like, like always, like any transfer window, you need to judge it on September 1st. So we need to wait and see on that one. I think there is a real risk that if we don't add some quality teams, players to the first team squad over the next few weeks that it's not going to be a good scene at Celtic, I think. I think Brendan Rodgers has made it clear that his job happiness is directly related to Celtic pulling the finger out over the next few weeks. And although the headlines screamed ultimatums, etc., he didn't actually make any ultimatum, but it's just the fact that he wants players to come in. He recognises the squad is weaker than this time last season. And I think going into the season deeper beyond the transfer window, weaker than we were last season, I think is just asking for trouble, especially when other teams in the country are strengthening. And I don't just mean Rangers with that. I mean Hibs, I mean Hearts, I mean well, Aberdeen, I don't think are stronger than they were last season. But, you you know, you get my point. All those teams are, are, are looking to cause upsets in different competitions and in yeah. the league. And I don't think we'll lose the league this season. I think it'd be silly to predict that. But I think that, there's a real chance of the club becoming complacent. And Brendan Rodgers, what Brendan Rodgers is trying to make clear in the media is that he won't accept 
the club becoming complacent. That's what he's trying to say. He doesn't want Celtic to become complacent because he always wants to push Celtic on. And I think if we kind of go down the road of of stagnation, I think Brendan Rodgers won't stand for it. I think the fans won't stand for it. And I think it'll be bad times, um, to be quite frankly, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. Paul McMullen, whether he's up to now. The ongoing assumption from the board that whatever manager we have player-wise can repeatedly make a silk purse from a pig's ear. Joe D, the <laughs> genuine lack of ambition the board has. Bringing in Rodgers was a great move and we've got a good squad, but the complete unwillingness to invest and to make sure that we qualify for the Champions League year in, year out, will come back to haunt us. Interesting. Dom Oliver... Uh, his biggest frustration is that this was relatively easily averted. Massive failure in scouting, future-proofing and accepting our weaknesses. Very good point. Only a few years ago we were finding him buying Wanyama, Hooper, Forster and Van Dijk. Now we recruit second-rate Dundee and Aberdeen players. Boom! Wow, what a shoot. Brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, Blocky and Star 35's lessons not been learned from previous years from the same guy. Stephen Ray brings up an interesting point. Stevie, what is the actual realistic ambition of the board versus the manager does Brendan Rodgers have the same ambition as the board or are his loftier than the board Stevie I don't know we don't know really what's going through Brendan Rodgers mind long term um, the board we all know what they're like they really just see Celtic as a business they have a different they have a different perspective to Brendan Rodgers who is essentially a Fit by man like us, <laughs> um, but he, but he's also I mean, just like us as well. Like everyone, Brendan Rodgers is also let's not kid himself out for himself because he wants to enhance his brand, his stocks, so one day that he could maybe take a role like a big big club, bigger than Celtic, you know. But whereas you look at the board and all they'll see is Celtic as a business, they're obsessed with profits, they're obsessed with that balance sheet. So I think there would be a conflict there, and obviously if Brendan comes up, go and look. Live after delivered. It's about time maybe give me about twenty million or something. The board will go. Don't know about that. I mean that profit sheet. Because you know when it comes out in November and all that, there'll be. It's every November into the AGM. We're going to announce it. This we're going to announce <laughs> it in a few months. And you know what it's going to come from it, right? This is what I'm going to predict here again. <laughs> after all this morning, right, and after all the fans greeting about it, and if and even if we don't buy the players that were and we don't improve the mm-hmm. squad, there's going to be all the, the greeting and all that for a couple of weeks. What will happen though, the AGM, they'll announce there's a profit, there'll be a couple of wee digs at Rangers or something, people will clap and go brilliant, brilliant, Peter, (laughs) Peter. The announcements or the profits and all that will come out and there'll be so much talk about, oh, what's a club or so rich rolling in it. You get all the you get the, the breaking bad part of where the two guys were on the big pile of money. You get <laughs> I mean that's I mean look it's so predictable that's what's going to happen we're already moaning they're criticising the board for penny pinching and essentially just running the club as just a business just to uh, to make I money right. and, uh, well, of yeah. course um, that's what's going to happen in a, in a, the in a thing few is, months is, is it the same groups of fans though because I feel like there's one group of fans that are just always wanting to project the good news at Celtic so they can save face and whatever some kind of bizarre mentality they've got going on with Rangers Financially, yeah, kind it's, of it's, if we're commercial ahead of deals, Rangers, happy. All that's the mentality, isn't it? But then there is a group of Celtic yeah. fans, I think, who are, are willing to be critical of the board. I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same fans or if or Stevie's right and it is the same fans and they've just got really short memories. It's hard to know because you're you can only speak to the people that you know in real life. You can only speak to your pals, and then you can only see what's going on on Twitter. Everyone I know 
every Celtic fan I know personally that I speak to about Celtic kind of has the same mentality as me and you, as us guys. It's kind of it's healthy to be cynical of the board. It's healthy to be have a scepticism of Peter Lawwell because he's a businessman. It's healthy to kind of want the best, very best for the team. I don't care about millions of pounds. I genuinely don't care about the money Celtic make as long as we can continue to function as a club. And we're way beyond mm. even thinking about that. And I don't think investing £10 million in the team is going to change that. So Stevie's right, but at the same time, I think I think the fans who are, feel like it's healthy to be cynical of the club, I think we need to assert that voice more than we have been because I think a lot of people are just willing to be like kind of just be dictated to by the people who are always kind of happy clapping and kind of you get shouted down for criticising the club when we're winning trebles and they've got a little bit of a point to be fair. We're winning trebles and winning trophies. What more do we want? But. I think it would be stupid not to always want to strive for more. And I think this has been a wake-up yeah. call for a lot more fans, more than us. I think it's been a wake-up call, what Brendan Rodgers said, because I think what Brendan Rodgers said in the press was actually what a, a lot of people, a lot of fans who had been previously delighted by the overly optimistic fans had been saying for the last 18 months or so. So we'll see. But Stevie's yeah. right about the AGM. That's what's going to happen. Right? You know that's what's going to happen. There are some Celtic fans who live for the business side of the club and projecting dominance over Rangers off the field rather than on the field mm-hmm. Just ask, I'd just love them to ask ourselves this question see when Celtic go on about their profits and those figures get raised I would love for them right, just to sit down and go how much of that money do you see personally and then they'd be able to <laughs> exactly. go wait a minute, I, I don't see any why, why am I that obsessed mm-hmm. I don't know and why how much joy does Celtic give you if you've got a good player in the park who can score goals and the, the difference there is, is massive yeah. Yep. Right. Anyway, uh, as always in this podcast, we like to give both sides of the argument. John McLean says most frustrating thing: the negativity. The majority of the squad is still improving. All we really need is a centre half and maybe a right back. It's not ideal, but we haven't got one in yet. But not a disaster. Mick Rooney, we have no divine right to win games. Let's wait a few months before we get the pitchforks out. Uh, that's just a new surface, isn't it? So there's no need to that yet. <laughs> Grant McCabe, the reality check some fans need to take. It's not pretty at times, but it's only five defeats domestically and approximately 100. Chill out. It's not always going to be trebles and five nils. Um, I can't remember any five nils in the last year, actually. It's been quite it's been a bit of a challenge, the league, certainly. Um, but trebles have certainly come very nicely. The huddle board, the good old huddle board, then to, to come and slag me off. Is this one of your accounts, Stevie? No, not at all. Having a go at me with the use of the word malaise. Good. I just, I thought, would you have wind up there when you said you couldn't remember any five nils? I'm going to assume you were, and I've just been worked. <laughs> I have, haven't I? Have of course right, I was. Cool. Well, do you know what? you got a reaction, Hamish. Well done. <laughs> yes. The huddle board, the fact that losing five games in just over two seasons can be described as a malaise. Paul T at Crabbit Cabby. Uh, for me, the board look at the competition from Scotland and say minimum investment. Brendan looks at the wider picture and says maximum investment. Very interestingly. Uh, and finally, of course, Geo, our friend Geo, goes for the fact that people seem to think you aren't allowed to criticise the team, the manager or the board. Uh, and if you do, all you hear is invincible, treble, double, treble. Uh, fair enough, that's kind of what we're going on. So that kind of sums up, I think, the 
the whole Celtic support at the moment, or they certainly do our best to do that. Uh, that's us, guys. That's us uh, done a podcast. Uh, this is how it feels to do a podcast, I suppose. Thank you very much for joining me, Stevie. No problem. Cheers for having us on. No problem. Hopefully speak to you at some point in the future, of course. You can catch Stevie. And uh, is it just you that does the old vlog, or do you have any help nowadays? No, I do it all myself. I think that's why it's so sporadic. I try and aim for it every couple of days. But here's one, and I don't... God, I'm going to sound like I'm talking about like facts and figures and numbers and all that. But genuinely, TJDS blog, I think the majority of people, certainly in Scotland and the UK, really uh, don't care too much and all that in terms of reading it. But it's massive um, in the USA. And, it, I mean, it was... We got our stats out for July, because we get it every month. And... Uh, Celtic were one of the most read clubs on SB Nation, top five really? uh, in, June, in June and July um, considering they were ahead of teams like Bayern, Barca, Juventus and all that, which Fantastic. is pretty no, pretty no bad going, so I'm putting this out there on the global scale, Hamish, what a guy <laughs> Fantastic John McGinley, thank you for, for being back on the podcast and um, we'll hopefully speak to you at some point in the future as I said at the start, don't know when the next podcast will be Probably just the next time there's something big to talk about. We wish Celtic and anyone else going out to Greece all the best. Safe journey uh, and hope that the Hoops can do the business. We will speak to you hopefully before long. Thank you for listening. I've been Hamish Carton and goodbye.